Chapter Twenty Five of the Second Latchkey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Second Latchkey by Charles Norris and Alice Muriel Williamson. Chapter Twenty Five, The Allegory. Annesley knew that Knight was in the habit of coming home that way in order not to disturb her with the noise of the car if she had gone to bed. If he were bringing parcels from the little mining town, he drove to the house, left the packets, and ran the auto to a shanty he had rigged up for a garage. A few seconds later the small open car came into sight, and Madalena sprang up, waving a dark veil she had snatched off her hat. She feared, no doubt, that the man might take another direction and perhaps get into the house by some door she did not know before she could intercept him. From a little distance the tall figure, standing on the veranda steps, must have been silhouetted black against the white wall of the house, clearly to be seen from the advancing motor. Quick as a bird in flight, the car sped along the road, wheeled off to the stiff grass, and drew up close to the veranda steps. "'Good heavens, Madalena!' Annesley heard her husband exclaim. "'I thought it was my wife and that something had gone wrong.' The surprise, sharpening his tone, did away with the doubt in the mind of the hidden listener. She had said to herself that the woman was here by appointment, and that this hour had been chosen because the meeting was to be secret. "'I wanted you to think so, and to come straight to this place,' returned the once familiar voice. "'Don, I travelled from San Francisco to see you. Do say you are glad.' "'I can't,' the man answered. "'I'm not glad. You tried to ruin me.' You tried in a coward's way. You struck me in the back. I hope never to see you again. How did you find me? I've known for a long time that you were in Texas, said Madalena. Lady Annesley Seaton and I kept up a correspondence for months after you sent me away so cruelly in such a hurry, believing hateful things, though you had no proof. She wrote that Mr. and Mrs. Nelson Smith would probably never come back to England to settle as she'd heard from a Mrs. Waldo, that they'd gone to live in Texas. She asked if I knew whether Nelson Smith had lost his money. I forgot to answer that question when I answered the letter. But when she said Texas, I felt sure you must be somewhere in this part. I remembered you telling me about the ranch that consumptive gambler left you on the Mexican frontier. "'What a fool I was to tell you!' Knight exclaimed roughly. The words and his way of flinging them at her were like a box on the ear and Annesley, lying in her hammock, heard with a thrill of pleasure. She was ashamed of the thrill, and ashamed because suddenly awakened to the realization that she was eavesdropping. But it seemed impossible that she should break in upon this talk and reveal her presence. She felt that she could not do it, though, searching her conscience, she was not sure whether she clung to silence because it was the lesser of two evils, or because she longed with a terrible longing to know whether these two would patch up their old partnership. "'If you knew why I had come all these miles, maybe you would not be so hard,' Madalena pleaded. "'That I can't tell until I do hear,' said Knight dryly. "'I am going to explain,' she tried to soothe him. "'A great thing has happened. I can be rich and live easily all the rest of my years if I choose. But I wanted to see you before deciding.' I arrived in El Paso yesterday, and went to Paso del Norte Hotel, to inquire about you. I was almost certain you would have taken back your own name, because I knew you used to be known by it when you stayed in Texas. I soon found out that I'd guessed right. 
I heard you'd stopped at that hotel last year on the way to your ranch. I hired a motor car and came here today, but I didn't let the man bring me to the house. I didn't want to dash up and advertise myself. I questioned some of your cowmen. They said you'd gone off, and would be getting back at night in your automobile, not earlier than ten, and maybe a good deal later. So I waited. The car I hired is a covered one, and I sat in it, a long way from the house, out of sight, behind a little rising of the land. Perhaps you call it a hill. We do, said Knight. I brought some food and wine. The chauffeur's there with the car now. He has cigarettes and doesn't mind if we stay all night. I mind, Knight cut her short. You can't stay all night. The road's good enough with such a moon for you to get back to El Paso. You'd better start so as to reach there before she sets. Wait till you hear what I've come, before you advise me to hurry. The Countess protested. There's no danger of our being disturbed, is there? Where's your wife? In bed and asleep, I trust. I'm glad. Then will you sit on the top of these stairs, in this heavenly moonlight, and let me tell you things that are important to me? Perhaps you may think they are important to you as well. Who knows? I know. Nothing you can have to say will be important to me. I won't sit down, thank you. I've been sitting in my car for hours. I prefer to stand. Very well, but how hard you are. Even now you won't believe I was innocent of that thing you accused me of doing. I think now what I thought then. You were not innocent but guilty. You were just a plain, ordinary sneak, Madalena, because you were jealous and spiteful. It is not true. Spiteful against you? It was never in my heart to lie. Jealous, perhaps. But that is not to say I wrote the letter you believe I wrote. You didn't give me time to try and prove I did not write the letter. You accused me brutally. You ordered me out of England with threats. I obeyed because I was heartbroken, not because I was afraid. Why trouble to excuse yourself? he asked. It's not worth the time it takes. If you've come to tell me anything in particular, tell it, and let's make an end. I have an offer of marriage from a millionaire, the Countess announced in a clear, triumphant tone, which no doubt you accepted, not to say snapped at. Not yet. I put him off, because I wanted to see you before I answered. You flatter me, Knight laughed, not pleasantly. If you have come from San Francisco to get my advice on that subject, I can give it while you count three. Make sure of the unfortunate wretch before he changes his mind. Ah, uh, if I could think that your harshness comes from just a little, ever so little jealousy, Madalena sighed. He won't change his mind. There is no danger. He is old, and I seem a young girl to him. He adores me. He is on his knees. Bad for rheumatism. He thinks I am the most wonderful creature who ever lived. I met him through my work. He came from a friend of his who told him about my crystal, and about me too. You are still working the crystal? But of course, it has always given me the path to success. If I marry this man, I shall be able to rest. On your laurels, such as they are. On his money, he can't live many years. You are an affectionate fiancé. I am not a fiancé yet. Not till I give my answer, and that depends on you. Oh, Don, surely you must be sick of this, this existence, for it is not life. I know you are angry with me, but you can't hate me, really. It is not possible for a man with blood in his body to hate a woman who loves him as I love you. I have tried to get over it. At first I thought I was succeeding. But no, when the reaction came, I found that I cared more than ever. 
We were born for each other. It must be so, for without you I am only half alive. I haven't come for your advice, Don, but to make you an offer. Oh, not an offer of myself. I should not dare, as you feel now. And it is not an offer from me only. It is from a great person who has something to give which is worth your accepting, even if my love is not. You've got in touch with him, have you? Knight broke into the rushing torrent of her words, as a man might take a plunge into a cataract. Why not? she answered. I didn't seek him out. It was he who sought me. You don't know how to speak the truth, Madalena. You said you found me through Lady Annesley Seaton, hearing from Mrs. Waldo, whereas you wrote to Paul Van Vreck. You do me injustice, always. I did hear from Constance. Then I merely ventured to write and ask Mr. Van Vreck if he kept up communication with you, and— You said in your letter to him that you knew where I was, and gave him to understand that we were in touch with each other, or he would have let out nothing. He has written and told you this? She spoke breathlessly, as if in fear. Ah, you give yourself away. No, I haven't heard from Van Vreck since I saw him in New York, and thought I convinced him that my working days for him were over. I simply guessed, knowing you, what you would do. I may have mentioned Texas, Madalena admitted. I suppose he knew where you were. I couldn't have told him because I didn't know. But he wrote and suggested I should use my influence with you to reconsider your decision. Those were his words. How much has he paid you for coming here? Nothing, as if I would take money for coming to you. You have taken it for some queer things, and will again if you don't settle down to private life with your millionaire. It's no use, Madalena. Go back to San Francisco. Send in your bill to Van Vreck. Tell him there's nothing doing, and make up your mind to marriage. But, Don, you haven't heard what he offers. It can't be more than he offered me himself when I saw him in New York. It is more. He says that particularly. He raises the offer from last time. It is three times higher. Think what that means. Oh, Don, it means life, real life, not stagnation. I would give up safety and a million to be with you, as your partner again, your humble partner. Here, on this bleak ranch, it is like death, a death of dullness. I know what you must be suffering, because you are obstinate, because you have taken a resolve, and are determined not to break it. You are afraid it will be weakness to break it. There can be no other reason. I have asked questions about your life here. I have learned things. I know she is as cold as ice. If you stay, you will degenerate. You will become cold. Leave this hideous gray place. Leave that woman who treats you like a dog. Let the ranch be hers. Send her money. You will have it to spare. She can divorce you, and you will be freed forever from the one great mistake you ever made. As for me, as for you, be silent. The command struck like a whiplash. You are not worthy to speak of that woman, as you call her. If I did what you deserve, I'd send you off without another word, turn my back on you and let you go, but— He drew in his breath sharply, then went on as if he had taken some tonic decision. I want you to understand why, if Paul Van Vreck offered me all his money, and you offered me the love of all the women on earth with your own, I shouldn't be tempted to accept. It's because of that woman who is my wife. It may be true that she treats me like a dog, for she wouldn't be cruel to the meanest cur, but I'd rather be her dog than any other woman's master. 
So you see now, it's come to that with me. I won her love and married her for my own advantage. I lost her love because she found me out, through you. Mild justice that, perhaps. But all the same, getting her for mine has been for my advantage, in a different way from what I had planned, but ten thousand times greater. Though she's taken her love from me, she's giving me back my soul. Nothing can rob me of that, so long as I run straight. And I tell you, Madalena, this ranch, where I'm working out some kind of expiation, and maybe redemption, is God's earth for me now. Now do you understand? For an instant the woman was silent. Then she broke into loud sobbing, which she did not try to check. Oh, you are a fool, Don, she wept, a fool. Maybe, but I am not the devil's fool as I used to be. Don't cry, you might be heard. Come, it's time to go. We've said all we have to say to each other except good-bye, if that's not mockery. Madalena dried her tears, still sobbing under her breath. At least take me to the automobile, she said. Don't send me off alone in the night. I'm afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of, Knight answered. The flame of his fierceness burnt down. But I'll go with you, and put you on the way back to El Paso. Come along. As he spoke, he started, and Madalena was forced to go with him, forced to keep up with his long strides if she would not be left behind. When they had gone, Annesley lay motionless, as though she were under a spell. The man's words, to the other woman, wove the spell which bound her, listening as they repeated themselves in her mind. Again and again she heard them, as they had fallen from his lips. His expiation, perhaps his redemption, here, on his bit of God's earth. It may be true that she treats me like a dog, but I'd rather be her dog than any other woman's master. And this was Easter Eve, a year to the night since his martyrdom began. Something seemed to seize Annesley by the hand and break the bonds that held her, something strong though invisible. She sat up with a faint cry, as of one awakened from a dream, and slipped out of the hammock. There was a dim idea in her mind that she must go along the road where they had gone, so as to meet Knight on his way back. She did not know what she would say to him, or whether she could say anything at all. But the something which had taken her hand and snatched her out of the hammock dragged her on and on. At first she obeyed the force blindly. I must see him. I must see him. The words spoke themselves in her head. But when she had hurried out of the enclosure, walled in by the cactus hedge, the brilliant moonlight seemed to pierce her brain and make a cold, calm appeal to her reason. "'You can't tell him what you have heard,' it said. "'He would be humiliated, or—' the thought was sharp as a gimlet. "'What if he saw you, and knew you were listening? What if he talked just for effect? He is so clever. He is subtle enough for that. And wouldn't it be more like the man than to say what he said sincerely?' She stopped, and was thankful not to see her husband returning. There was time to go back if she hurried, and she must hurry. If he had seen her in the hammock and made that theatrical attempt to play upon her feelings, he would laugh at his own success if she followed him. And if he had not seen her, and were in earnest, it would be best, indeed the only right way, not to let him guess that the scene on the veranda steps had had a witness. Annesley turned to fly back, faster than she had come. But passing the cactus hedge, her dress caught. 
It was as if the hedge sentiently took hold of her. She bent down to free the thin white material, and suddenly color blazed up to her eyes in the rain of silver moonlight. The buds had opened since she had noticed them last. No longer was the hedge a grim barricade of stiff, dark sticks. Each stalk had turned into a tall, straight flame of lambent rose. From a dead thing of dreary ugliness it had become a thing of living beauty. Night's allegory. He had said, perhaps she might understand when the time came, and perhaps not. She did understand, but she had not faith to believe that the miracle could repeat itself in life, her life and night's. She shut her eyes to the thought, and when she had freed her dress, ran very fast to the house. End of chapter 25